Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. You can help us at History Hack by joining us via Patreon. It takes quite a lot of effort and a lot of work of quite a big team now to keep us going. And so if you could donate as little as £3 a month, it would be massively appreciated by all of us. There's different levels because Princess Marcus has set it all up with uh, varying rewards and things. So do have a look. Do join us. There's uh, an exclusive Facebook group as well and you can be part of all of it. Hello and welcome to History Hack. It's Meryn here and I have the delectable, the delightful Charlie with me. Charlie, hi, how are we? I'm very good. It's nice to be with you. Walters and White uh, taking over History Hack hosting duties. Taking over the world, setting up new brands of ice cream and legal teams. Walters and White is a force to be reckoned with. Oh my goodness, the listeners aren't going to know what's hit them. You and I and our, our love of all things Hollywood and theatre and musicals, we are taking over in, a, in style today. So, so basically what you're saying is we're a couple of drama queens. Oh, oh no, no, <laughs> never. Yes, oh, I, think, I think that's fair. I think anyone who has listened for a while will know that from you and I, Marin. <laughs> Charlie, tell us who's joining us today. Well, I'm really excited. Today we've got Tarbo with us, the creator and writer, and Ayaz, the director of 50 Days. It's a brand new musical, which is bringing to life the days leading up to, drumroll praise, the English Civil War. Huzzah! It's doing this. You know I'm a Civil War war guy. Sorry. You know, it's my area. I know, I know. What's really exciting about 50 Days is it's doing this through the very British sound of grime. Now, if you're down with the kids like me, you know about grime. If you're not, you're going to learn a lot today. With music by Dark Star and Duramani Kamara, I may have pronounced that terribly. You have to kick me if I got it wrong. It's already been mentioned in the same breath as Hamilton. And we here at History Hack are very excited to be getting in early to tell you guys all about it before the whole world starts singing about John Pym in their cars. So hello, Tarbo and Ajaz. Hello. Hi, guys. Hi, everyone. Hello. Lovely to be here. Thank you for the invite. Uh, we are we're really really excited like I say to be getting in on the ground floor um, this is a, a new musical and I love that new musicals are happening even in this crazy world we're going to talk a lot about it but just for our listeners right now we're going to drop in a little taste of what they can expect from 50 Days 
It is I, John Pym. Now I begin. Sixteen forty one. Parliament. Look, as I walk down this alley, there's a shadow of death. I fear no evil, but see, there's no one left. We know not how this mortal beast manifests. Is it popish sin, or maybe the rats, maybe the cats? Either way, check out the stats. They don't look good. The king needs to face facts. I'm an MP with a seat. As the nation meets at Coleman Street, they hear John Lilburn speak. I see. Okay, so so that that was that was quite an introduction. But although I'm getting a sense of what grime is, just do, do you want to do, just to give us? Is there a, a definition of grime? What? How do we know we're listening to grime? Tara, you're probably better to describe this. <laughs> Well, but, but by definition and technically grime, yeah, it's probably got more in common with uh, with dance music like garage, uh, think, th- things like that, and uh, and even dancehall. Um, it's normally set to a one forty BPM beat, um, kind of uh, if you're going to get really technical. Uh, but that that's kind of changed a little bit over time too. Um, but but yeah, it, it's kind of uh, the I think the um, the um the the kind of voice of the young people who uh re- kind of refused to no longer be heard um it, it originated in east london um and uh yeah uh, I, th- I think really the the kind of gritty texture the urgency of grime um uh, i think that really mirrors the situation and the feeling of 1641 perfectly uh there, there really isn't a better music choice and um it, it's you know kind of quintessentially british um it and uh and and yeah i mean uh, traditionally it would have been called underground but now you have uh, you know artists like Stormzy headlining at Glastonbury so it, it, it's no longer something that, that that's only for only for the youth um, and uh, and yeah it's kind of 20 years in the making and, and what a 20 years it's been really for Grime. That's fantastic I think if um, you know if, if any anyone needs a parallel I, I often think of Grime as being very like punk music so if you've not heard of it it's because you're not there um it's it's very very british and you know for for people who perhaps have found hip-hop and those that kind of rap music hard to relate to um because it's very americanized this is this is talking about places that you know in an english accent and it's so immediate and and deals with so such a wide range of really important issues. Um, so you touched on that a little bit, Tarbo. But what do you think it is about that time? You know, over the winter sixteen forty one, sixteen forty two, that lends itself so perfectly to grime. Well, I, I think that that winter in particular, that there's a kind of radical fervor in the air, and I think those that are responsible for it are really the grime artists of their era. Um, and you know, like Grime, they're no longer waiting for their turn to be heard. They're they're taking the the microphone, if you will, and they're making people pay attention. And you know, if, if we're going to talk a little bit about Grime, well, the, the artists and those involved in, I think, the the kind of early pirate radio stations in the early noughties, they took huge risks uh, for their music to be heard. Um, for both their freedom, if they're caught uh, for piracy, and, and and equally actually risking their lives trying to make it happen, uh, erecting aerials on tower blocks and things like that. So it was dangerous. Um, and I think, you know, the, the winter of 1641, it's all cooking up in the East End, not far from where, where grime originated from. And uh, there are people at street level who aren't happy with their lot and they're becoming vocal about it um, and have been for a little while. And we, we've got the plague looming over London. 
economic hardship, a huge clash over politics, religion, and this kind of new idea that, you know, everyone might be born equal uh, being put forward by people like John Lilburn. Um, what? <laughs> yeah, and I, I just feel that Grime represents an anti-establishment feeling of our generation. And we've got a lot in common with the radicals of the 17th century, um, more, more than you might think. Wow. So, so I'm I... sense that this is there's um, certainly a, a layer of urgency here, and that seems to be reflecting. I mean, Tommy, you mentioned right at the outset this idea of 140 beats per minute, and for for people who don't know, I guess, I guess about 120 is about the pop rock standard. It's just slightly slower, but if you've got a, a sense of urgency in a time frame then clearly grime as, as a framework against which to set a narrative of some kind, it lends itself perfectly. So tell me, where, where did you first get the idea that the two things might complement each other? What, where were you? What happened? Um, well, yeah, I, I think it's kind of complicated. Um, as a history teacher, but in a performing arts setting, um, I've always identified the value of theatre as an educational tool. And, and for a time I tried to kind of make inroads into that world, but didn't really have much uh, success, um, you know, education packs and that kind of thing. Um, so I, I turned around and just went, well, okay, if, you know, if I'm not getting these opportunities, maybe the best thing for me to do is to, um, is to write my own show. Um, and um, yeah, um, it, but, but, but in terms of 50 days, um, it was, I think, uh, December, 2018, and um, I'm having a drink with a friend just before Christmas. And, like most people, we're talking about Brexit like we have been for about five years, right? <laughs> and, uh, and we kind of get onto the, the idea of uh, the, the country divided and, uh, and we begin to compare it a little bit to the Civil War period. Um, and, uh, and yeah, um, I, and then I can remember walking, walking home, uh, kind of heading towards Lambeth Bridge, uh, I've walked past Parliament, I've got my headphones in and um, like Shutdown by Skepta comes on. Oh. And I'm looking at the, the statue of, of Cromwell and I'm just thinking about, you know, the prorogation of Parliament, the personal rule of, um, of, uh, of, uh, of Charles. And, um, and I just had, you know, the kind of vision of, uh, of an MC dressed as a Puritan. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah, um, uh, yeah, it, you know, it, it kind of just, yeah, it kind of just grew from there really. Um, and uh, but I, I think the, the the idea of urban music on on stage it's not a new phenomenon. I mean, I, I remember in two thousand and four living in Germany. I lived in a town called Stuttgart uh, for for a, for a short period of time with my family there, and I had the opportunity to go and watch a film, uh, not a film, pardon me, a um, a, a show called uh, Slam Dunk, which is written by Felix Cross <laughs> MPE. Um, and, and it's a, a hip hop a UK hip hop show uh, about basketball, but but actually loosely based on a Shakespeare play. And that's in 2004. So it, it's not, people have been doing it for a while. It just maybe didn't have the attention then that, that it does now. Um, so I think that's quite interesting. And I, I remember that show so vividly and it's really stuck with me. Oh, it's wonderful. And you, you are so right. I mean, those of us who are interested in the 17th century, civil war and, and all of that time, have just been banging our heads against brick walls for the last few years going, this is Brexit. We are living through everything we read in those history books, everything we learned at school. Um, we're living through it. And uh, even we even had Pride's Purge, I believe, when Boris uh, dis <laughs> kicked out a load of his MPs who didn't agree with him. It really is so relevant at the moment. So, Jazz, tell us a little bit about 50 Days, because it's it's currently a musical in development. What does that mean? And how on earth 
have you guys been able to create new theatre over the last 18 months with everything going on? Um, okay, cool. So to start with the development kind of stages, um, it's in development because we haven't had the kind of first opening night. And I would say that any any new writing piece is completely in development up until you have the first show, not even the previews. I would say even the previews, sometimes you get rewrites and you get kind of little changes and things. So I think, yeah, because it's a new show, we're constantly trying to make it better, constantly trying to make it the best piece that we can. And so it will be in development right up until the last moment. Um, it also means that we are we are looking to do R&Ds, which is a research and development kind of stages where we practice bits of the script, we see which works, we see how the actors respond to it and yeah, just allow Tarbo to see what he likes and what he doesn't like about his work and then rework it and yeah, and hopefully at some stage we'll have a complete show that we can we can put on the West End, which would be, yeah, great. Um, and you've been doing all of this in a pandemic. Yeah, in a pandemic. <laughs> it's obviously, it's been, it's, it's kind of two edges of the coin really, because it has been difficult in terms of, we haven't been able to meet loads in person and, and get actors in a room because of all the COVID restrictions and stuff. But it does mean that Tarbo's had a lot of time in his bedroom to, to write, which is great for a writer. <laughs> um, and we've got room and technologies and stuff these days so we can, yeah, we can communicate and that's been a real advantage. I think it, in terms of having the distraction of other jobs, it means that you, you can focus more on your passion projects. Yeah. Just, oh, I'm, I'm at work at the moment, so I can't, I can't work on that and everything. So yeah, it's been, it's been good for it and it's also been challenging for it. So I think, yeah, and it's been fun as well. That's With- incredible. We were really fortunate uh, that uh, Paul Taylor Mills and Turbine Theatre, they have an annual um, MT Fest where they, they they try and showcase new work, new new in development writing. Uh, and, and a lot of them are at different stages of, of that process. And, um, and you know, even with all of the the delays with everything, they were determined to put on the uh, the, the, the the festival this year. And we were, I think, really, really fortunate to, to have that opportunity. Um, the cast were incredible. We had 12 hours of rehearsal for, um, for, our, for our piece. Which, for an hour show as well, yeah. Yeah, which, which was mad. Um, but uh, I think I think Jazz and, and, and everyone just did a phenomenal job of really running with the ideas, putting their own spins on little things and actually just creating something new and fresh, I hope. And um, yeah, hopefully people enjoyed it. So, so I'm going to run with, with two threads there because one is determination. <laughs> and the other is isolation, something about which we know quite a bit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when we, when I mean, Charlie and I have had a little, little bit of an insight as to, to how this piece, piece of musical theatre opens. When, when an audience first sees you and starts hearing um, the narrative developer, what they're seeing is your characters melting into their 17th century counterparts, but it's set in a school classroom. So we've got this backdrop of of understanding that we're in a civil war, in English civil war, and you've got this very visual idea of structure. So question for you. Do you think Charles I could have nipped all his problems in the bud, determined as he was, if he'd put John Pym in detention? (laughs) Um, Yeah, to be honest, I feel like... If he had, if he had kind of put him in detention or, you know, chopped off his head is, is the kind of detention that he would have done at that time. I think he probably would have done that. But I feel like 
the nature of Charles's character and the flaw of his character means that he would never have done that because he always underestimates his opponent because he's he so fundamentally believes in the blue blood in the divine right that he I just don't think he could have ever foreseen it um with that in mind if he if he had had the kind of uh, the kind of insight to to be wary of John Pym, I think John Pym would have played a different tact. I don't think he would have come in so strong. I think he knows his opponent so much better because, because he, hasn't, he hasn't had the opportunities that Charles has had, so he has to graft. I feel like he just would have navigated it and would have got out of detention. He would have <laughs> done it somehow. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a Chamberlain, coulda, shoulda, woulda. Um, yeah alternative truth effects really um it's gonna be a song of ours now <laughs> <laughs> um yeah um I, I i think that actually the i think the the damage had been done and it was it was bigger than pym and actually pym if he'd uh been executed he would have become a bit of a martyr and someone else would have taken his place and there was really too much at stake for a lot of the the parliamentarian faction um i think anyway so i i, I think that charles tried to appease pym uh, which you know he, he tries to offer him the quite a quite a, a meaty role in in January uh, to try and uh, bring him over, if you will. But um, I I kind of feel that the the long term damage has already been done. Yeah, okay. but I I do feel that it's he was he was between a rock and a hard place, wasn't he? Because even when he did try and arrest the sort of five most prominent members of parliament who were speaking against him they'd already gone by the time he goes marching into parliament and uh you know it's he was always a, a couple of days too late on everything you <laughs> know i know it's so it is so sad look it's a rebellious subject and a rebellious sound that you've got going in 50 days but i don't know guys um i think there's a lot of sympathy in your production for both Charles I and his wife, Queen Henrietta Maria. Is, is 50 Days a secret royalist musical? Um, I, I think that what I've, you know, what we've tried to do is to mirror our current uh, media obsessions. And, uh, you know, the, I think the crown has reignited our fascination with the monarchy uh, and brought in a, a, a newer audience, I think, too. And, and, and I think the, the Harry and Meghan debate, you know, everyone's got an opinion about it. And I think for this particular showcase and the material that we selected, we, we tried to mirror that. Um, and um, it was never really intended to be a, a monarch, you know, a, a, a play from the perspective of the monarchy. Um, but with, with so many things, you, you kind of go down a, a rabbit hole with the research. And, um, and yeah, um, I, I think equally, there's a lot more written about them. So they're more easily accessible. So, um, you know, it's taking a little bit longer to, um, to, to kind of uh, develop that material for the more ambiguous characters, uh, mm -hmm. like, like your Catherine Chidley's or, or people of that nature, who um, I'm just taking a bit more care with. Um, so yeah, I, I'm sure the, the perspectives will develop and change over time. But, but I, I do think that their, um, that their relationship is very interesting. And I think uh, the, 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 the kind of more I read, um, so a lot of my initial research was, you know, your, your John Adamson, your uh, your your Reese, um, people like that, and then um, I read the White King, ah. uh, which just gave me a bit of a different perspective on 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 their relationship, and um, kind of just ran with that a little bit too. Um, yeah, I think that's lovely. We love Leander Delisle here. She's been on she's been on and talked to us about the White King 
before. Um, there's this, uh, it's not too much of a spoiler to say, there's a really lovely song and it could have gone on for four times the length and I would have sat there and listened to it because I loved it, uh, where King Charles is writing almost a letter to his older brother who died, who was supposed to be the heir, not not Charles. And he says that he's trapped in a in a cage of gold and it's really beautiful. You've got a lot of sympathy for him there. I feel like, um, if I can jump in, I feel like for us not to show that side of the royal family, I think it would do a disservice to the whole story because I don't think we can pretend now that royal people, whatever you think about the monarchy, that they're not royal people and they don't have um, issues or they don't suffer. Um, I think people maybe would have expected us to kind of just have the royal family as a bit of a caricature because that's how it's portrayed in Hamilton. But I think because this is set in England and I think King Charles is so much more involved in this revolution that we have to have him as a as a, a three-dimensional character and, and not as a caricature. Um, but yeah, and I think... I think people can make their own decision. We don't want to tell them how to feel about it. And yeah, whatever people feel, if they're a roundhead or a royalist, they can make them. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. That sense of perspective is really important. And I know that by... By using grime, choosing grime, you're appealing instantly to um, an audience that will be familiar with this with this genre. But then, by looking at the English Civil War, you are looking at a completely different audience potentially. And it's not a case of never the twain shall meet, but oh my goodness, when they do, they're going to learn a lot about each other. Yeah. So, so with the idea of, of new perspectives and being open, which I think is, is what art and culture is all about. Art and culture is always about be open-minded. This is not me telling you what you should think or hear or see or feel. It's about you interpreting and finding your own perspective about the medium. The, 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 the context and the content of what you've created says a lot about perspectives on reality. It says a lot about perspectives on fake news, about monarchy, on politics. Do you think that even if they're not aware of the civil war, the English civil war, do you think that there are elements of what they're seeing that will be familiar to the audience for perhaps whom history isn't necessarily, inverted quotes, their thing? Do you think they'll recognise some of what they're seeing? I think unquestionably um, that, 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 you know, people talk about history repeating itself and I, I don't necessarily think history is repeating itself. I, I don't think it's ever ended. You know, you, you don't just shut one book and open another one. 
and and a lot of the ideas that we're talking about in the show are the ideas that we're talking about today. Um, and, uh, and and I think you know you talk about perspectives. It's really important to to understand that uh, that the levelers or the parliamentarians they're, they're arguing for very different things actually, even though they have a common enemy. And in the, and and the monarchy are um, you know they have their own agenda as well. So I think that idea of perspective is really important. And we 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 equally try to get away from the idea of the English civil war and make it the British civil war to, to, to an extent, um, because Scotland's such an important part of, of, of the narrative and Ireland too. Um, so we're, we're really trying, I think, to embed that idea of uh, regional difference as well. Um, you know, uh, Manchester is, is very carefully placed in, in the narrative too. Um, so yeah, I, I think hopefully there'll be something in there for everyone. And um, maybe being a teacher helps and <laughs> a little bit, I, I'm not sure. Yeah, no, I think I feel like people are endlessly the same and we like to think that we're progressive and that we change and that we've learned more and we understand things now. But I feel like <laughs> like our parents, we just repeat the same mistakes over and over again. And I mean, even in the word like revolution, revolution means to revolve. Right. So we're just going around in circles doing the same stuff. Um, yeah, I think I think it will definitely interest people who maybe feel like particularly the monarchy is not. Uh, interesting to them because they feel like it doesn't relate to them but um yeah I feel like it will it will draw them in in a way that they haven't expected but also it will tell the story in a way that is designed to interest and entertain I think part of the issue is that we associate a lot of history with someone standing there going in 1485 blah 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 like at the beginning of our show (laughs) and it's actually the tone that is boring it's it's not the it's not the content yeah yeah, I think that anybody who, because uh, the the Civil War is something that's been taught as a part of the curriculum for years and years, and the number of people I talk to who have thought that it was very boring, and how I I feel that there are there are some there are some sort of flaws in the way that it's been taught, not yeah. the actual subject because it is in fact really interesting. But if you're not interested in it, how can you inspire passion in in somebody else? Definitely. Me and, me, so me and Tabo went to the same school um, when we both had the same history teacher. And I, before I went to that school, I definitely had a lot of teachers that were very, you know, in this period, Kings, and it was very much like that. And as soon as I, we went to the Brit school and had Mr. Moy, you know, he's like a very vivacious Scottish guy. He'd be like, we're going to go to the cemetery. We're going to see this. We're gonna do that. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, this is like exciting. And yeah, he made... I knew I already loved history from visiting castles and things, but he made me love it again after having had it, you know, kind of the joy battered out at school in certain points. So, yeah. That's so wonderful. Hang on. Is your teacher slash Charles the first character in 50 days? Is he in fact your history teacher from the Brit school? Cause he has got a Scottish accent. Um, to, to, to be fair, we um, we 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 really liked uh, Reuben for that um, Reuben Joseph for, for for that role because of the fact that Charles, you know, his father's Scottish, and 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 again, actually, that that regional um, kind of influence and representation. Uh, I think initially we had him down to to, to actually try it in a in an English accent, but. It, it just wasn't really working. And uh, yeah, we, we kind of just played around with that a little bit. But um, uh, as the whole classroom thing unfolded, I remember me, me and Ajaz looking at each other and just being like, that reminds us of someone a bit. 
But um, I, I think, yeah, uh, kind of shout out to to Mr. Moyer. Um, kind yeah. of, um, when when I, you know, when I kind of told him that I was writing about this, he straight away gave me a book by Christopher Hill, you know, um, again, talking about different perspectives on history, you know, really important. Um, so I've, yeah, just the, 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 the amount of just doors that's opened from a history perspective for me, it's just been phenomenal. And, and actually the, the development politically of, of Britain, you know, uh, the, the prorogation of parliament didn't happen until 2019. I, I'd already been writing it for, you know, uh, a length of time, <laughs> and, and then 2020, the pandemic. And it was just time, time and again, more and more things were happening that related to the period of time that we're, that we're looking at. So you're not worried you've got a magic pen that you're, <laughs> you're sort of <laughs> you're making things happen. Stop it. <laughs> so so I've, got, I've got a question for both of you, because having seen and, and, and heard the way that you're, the, you're using grime as a genre with this fast pace, these, um, the, you know, you've got um, this, this overlay of like street lyric on a, on a fast paced background. Is it harder to learn a lyric, a syncopated lyric about history, or is it easier to learn the history and then attach that to a syncopated um, lyric? In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. So if I'm talking about um, from, a, from a performance perspective as an actor, yeah. there is a rule in theatre that you never learn your script before you go into the rehearsal room because you learn it in a certain way and then you have to unlearn it because then the director goes no not like that like this <laughs> try and do it and then you go and end up doing it the same way that you've practiced it so I I would say it's easier to learn it as you're doing it rather than learning too much beforehand I think it's always good to do your research but if it's hap- if you're if you're absorbing information whilst being with other people and playing out kind of scenarios and stuff it's always going to stick in more like like in school if you if you learn something with a bit more kind of like like a dance or a song or something it's going to make it absorbing to you a lot quicker so yeah I would say do it do it in the room not before I think everyone's different too right like um there you know there were people in the cast who were very meticulous beforehand really wanted to know um yeah like uh, about their character in a lot of depth and detail other people do kind of feed off the interaction in the room and, and I think it's just you know what, whatever you're more comfortable with you probably can be too over prepared um but you know yeah I, I think everyone's going to have their own preference on what they want to bring to the role and um you know I, I, I think for, for me as a a debutant writer creator whatever you want to call it I've definitely learned that and picked that up about different people that they all work differently and it's really important to respect that and, and let people do what works for them cool definitely also if we had because our rehearsal period at this point was so short there was kind of no way that there couldn't have been research 
done beforehand but I you know hopefully one day we'll get an eight week rehearsal period and we'll have the first two weeks just going to Whitehall going yeah going around all the kind of the places that are relevant to the story and doing the research can I come do you need anyone to sort of carry bottles of water and you know yeah, you fan fan the director with a the big that was Lucy Hay and do a little <laughs> excellent yeah no I, I will definitely come along I'm particularly interested in the point at which historical fact meets artistic license. How have you decided which figures need to be a part of the show from history? And how do you decide what they'll sound like in a in sort of a modern musical setting? So that, that's a tricky one. I think as a historian and, and, and probably as a teacher, I've got good at sifting through information and trying to decide what to include and what to omit because um, you've got a limited time in a lesson, right? But mm -hmm. I think the provided you've got the big ideas, then the characters just kind of follow on after that. Um, so in that initial scene where you've got Pym, Lilburn, Manchester all meeting, um, it was really difficult to decide who, you know, who the characters were going to be. But that's kind of why I decided to, to have them as representations, one of the chamber, one of the upper house and one of the street. And they're kind of representing that entire faction um, in, in a way where, you know, if you try to include all of them, the audience is just going to get really confused <laughs> with all of the all of the Edwards, all of the, um, you know, all of the Williams that, yeah, it, it can be a bit um, a bit overwhelming. Um, so, uh, yeah, it would just be carnage. I feel like um, the kind of initial thing that we decided for this um, stage of the project we, was who can't we tell the story without? Who do we definitely need in the story for all those points? We had a bit of a discussion about Lucy Hay because we both really love her as a character, but we at that time we didn't have really enough time to to bring her in and do her justice. But she's mm. definitely coming in a bit more later. Tell tell our listeners who who Lucy Hay is. Where where would she fit? So, um, Tabo, do you want to go with this? Do you want to know a lot. <laughs> So Lu Lucy Hay, uh, Countess of Carlisle, uh, is um, laid in waiting for the for the Queen and uh, and her best friend. Uh, I think she's ten years her senior. Um, she's uh, just um, yeah, really really politically in influential at court. Actually, she, she's got a lot of favour and um, and and she, she's able to uh, kind of manoeuvre politically through that scene. Um, and um, yeah, quite an independent woman, independent thinker. For, for that time period and and, and some of that that we felt we really wanted to to kind of include in the narrative but but you know I kind of mentioned earlier that there are people where there is more information and they're easier to write and um yeah we're, we're really taking our time with Lucy and uh, and she plays a massive role in in the political shift and change and and the game of uh of the 50-day period in question um so yeah we'll we'll hopefully have more more to write about and tell you all about in, in regard to Lucy fairly soon. It, very, it's very exciting. It's fascinating to hear how it's evolving as a production. And clearly it's not, a, it's not as, 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 as I would put it naively, as simple as I'll write some music, I'll, I'll put a few lyrics down, we'll choose a period of history. I know, we'll put some costumes on and we've got a production. It's not oh. as easy as Gene <laughs> Kelly made it look in Singing in the Rain. No, just make it not. a musical. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, that doesn't look that easy to me. I was... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ditto. Yeah. So, so uh, tell me, what, which stage are you at and what's next in production? What's the next stage of development? 
I think back to the drawing boards, writing more material, uh, developing the concept, um, and hopefully, yeah, um, we'll, we'll, we'll be able to do what we what we did at MT Fest on a on a larger scale. And I, I love the idea that um, it's kind of in development, and and we're showing people that development because you can bring people along for yeah. the journey, and um, you know, uh, sh- yeah, kind of show people the vulnerability of making a production too. Um, mm. uh, yeah, so so hopefully people can can feel like they're actually part of the the 50 days family um and um and yeah i think also because we've decided to kind of do two stories in our show we've got the modern day setting and we've got the um the time period that we're doing 1640s you can't just kind of start one kind of storyline and not finish it so we have to work out how dramaturgically they fit together and how they work alongside each other which is a lot more kind of uh pattern shifting and and mm. yeah, structural work that we need to to work on but it makes it more fun and yeah, yeah. it's it really is it does feel like it's alive it's like a, a living organism and it's it's going to change and evolve and and with with feedback that you get it's really wonderful um feedback from me please put lucy hay in because oh, she, she totally it. sells the queen out i mean we don't we don't know for sure that she was the one who tipped off parliament that the king was coming to arrest the five members but it's a brilliant it's just such a great um story yeah that- and actually her her relationship with john pym you know what is that relationship is it is it romantic is it actually just political um really yeah. hard to tell and you know again it's just the idea of really taking care with with her storyline I think and I'm really mm-hmm. trying to do that character justice yeah there's a lot of freedom with Lucy Hay as well for the actor I feel like because because there's not as much information about her motivations and what she was thinking and what she wanted the actor can decide for themselves and play and put their own stamp on it we had we did actually have someone who was cast as Lucy Hay in it, but it might not have been completely obvious. Uh, Rob, when he was in the red wig. Oh, yes. Lucy Hay. <laughs> we kind of like the idea of um, someone dragging up to play Lucy Hay and, yeah, just bring it yeah, I think I think we wanted to play around a bit with gender and, and yeah. things like that too, didn't we? And, and um, yeah, and, and Aminita playing, um, obviously, uh, Digby and the Prince of Wales. So, yeah, we, but... Um, I, th- I think what they did brilliantly is that when watching that, you, yeah, that, that wasn't the first thing that came to mind. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, yeah. It was, you know, th- th- they were that good at, at those roles that that really wasn't at the forefront of what you were thinking. And I think that that's really important to to remember that, you know, pr- pr- providing you're doing that character justice, it doesn't matter who's playing them. Yeah, fantastic. And it now, reminds us as well, sorry to interrupt no, no. you, it reminds us also that there's still those kids in the classroom, so that as if they've got like a dress-up box and they're kind of playing out the characters and things. So it has that kind of, uh, that Brechtian thing that keeps the audience slightly outside of it. So they go, okay, what do I actually think about this? And not necessarily getting really emotionally sucked in and they can still be objective about the whole situation. God, it's, that is so, it's so exciting. It really is exciting to watch it. Now, what I would like to ask you both on behalf of all of our listeners here is how can our listeners support the production? What can we do to help? Um, so, yeah, we're, we're working really hard at the moment to try and make uh, the, the production and everything around it more accessible. Uh, so we're hoping to have a, kind of a development announcement at some point in the near future. Uh, in the meantime, you can, uh, yeah, you can be up to date with 
all the news for 50 days uh following us on twitter instagram uh 50 days underscore musical all lowercase um and yeah just, just make sure you're tuning in for for any announcements that we're going to have shortly um and hopefully we'll be able to share more of um of the showcase that we did um or yeah our, our future developments with with the wider world uh yeah fairly shortly so make sure you're tuned <laughs> yeah agreed um i feel like yeah just uh, shouting about us on social media but also if any of the audience are theatre producers uh, <laughs> work in theatre think they know anyone that would be interested in funding you know getting us a kind of space to work with this with the show that would be great and yeah get in touch with us yeah I, I think you know theatre's taken a massive hit and at the moment it's very hard to to, to get new writing out there because um, the priorities are a bit different at the moment but uh but you know we're we're still here. We're, we're taking the idea forward and anyone who's able to support in any way, please get in touch and we, we'd love to talk further. Okay. Sounds good. Um, I, I guess as we, we draw to an, an unfortunate close, I, 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 there's a whole load of stuff I'd like to ask you about the character development in particular, as well as the development of the music and, and how, how you work through each each piece. And I don't want to call it a tune, it's a piece, piece of, you know, piece of music. I guess the real question, for, for listeners is which side do you think you would have fallen on in 1642 would you have stuck with the king or would you have fought to reign in his rule Tabo um I, I always give quite a uh, kind of diplomatic <laughs> answer that I, I wouldn't have chosen any side because uh, I I think actually what when you're when you're given ultimatums, that can be really dangerous. And, and I think, you know, we, uh, I'm sure we, we can all agree that the contemporary ultimatums that we're given never end well. Um, so, um, but I, I think, you know, with, with my, my background, my, my grandma on my mum's side uh, grew up in Germany. She wound up in, in Hoenek prison for a number of years after World War II for, for anti-Soviet information um, pamphleting. Um, my mm. South African family, black South African, you know, uh, growing up, you know, kind of having to contend with apartheid. I, I think it's clearly in my nature to, um, to, to fight for what's right. So I think, I, yeah, it, um, with a gun to my head, I would, probably, <laughs> I would yeah, I, I would have been on the side of change um, if people felt that change was needed. Um, but, you know, the, the royalist clothing, I think would, probably suit me a bit better but yeah, I think um yeah I, I, I think to, to do justice to to my to my family I, I think I, I yeah I'd, I'd be fighting for for good change I, I would hope but I, I think that that question is really difficult and you need to consider people's region you know where, where in the country they're they're located mm -hmm. just their upbringing you know age gender um economic circumstances I, I think it, it's a very complicated question um and that's not yeah. my history teacher yeah. answer right there. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. So I feel like if I was in the time and I had no knowledge as to what's coming afterwards, I would have been on the, the side of the, the roundheads and I would have been like, yeah, revolution. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but as someone who's living now, if I was then transported back into 1642, I think I would definitely be a royalist because the Puritan era was just... It just seemed like hell. I think I'd rather have a king and have Christmas than yeah. have no dancing, no music for like ages. So, yeah, hindsight me, royalist. <laughs> yeah, I think and, those and, and you know, I think 
I think equally we know, yeah, we, we know the outcome of, of the period and we know that actually the, the revolution by 47, it's already taking a bit of a different a different direction. It, it's not necessarily going the way that um, certainly I think the, the more radical thinkers thought it would go. Um, you know, we, we, we do we do toy with the democracy for a 10 year period, but we wind up with a tyrant. And, you know, it yeah, it, it kind of it dies a very short short and sharp death but um but yeah i, I would agree with the jazz I, I think um you know for for clearly we're theater lovers so you know <laughs> that's an excellent answer and hey look tarbo i mean john dryden did some of his best work while the theaters were shut during the plague so you know you're channeling that being a playwright at home with no theaters open <laughs> Yeah, no, I've I've got a shout out to uh to uh, my my little boy to Roman Lucas Stuck um being a good boy on the train and letting letting daddy write and you know bit, and just being a big fan too of um of the project um yeah he's been great. That's fantastic. Listen, thank you so much to you both, Tarbo Stuck and Ayaz Awad, for coming in and and just talking to us about this fantastic production. We cannot wait to see what happens next. Thanks, guys. Thank you for having us. Thank, thank you. you so much. Yeah, and yeah, thank you for anyone who's engaged with us on social media, uh, anyone who came, bought a ticket online, in person. Um, it's, it's been a, a phenomenal start to the journey and we, we hope that you'll all come with us on, on the next step of it now. Definitely. When our guests join us to talk about their work and their new book, the 45 minutes or so they spend with us is just a taster of all their efforts. So to this end, we have launched our very own bookshop on bookshop.org, where you can find our guests' latest and greatest books. You can support them and you can support History Hack too. 10% of every sale via our bookshop supports the podcast and allows us to keep at it and bring you more amazing guests. You can find our bookshop at bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash history hack or just search on bookshop.org for us under the shops bit. Thank you for your continued support, and here's to your next great book. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.